oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey guys, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, if it's your first Sunday here, thanks for choosing to be with us. Uh, we believe that you could be anywhere and you've chosen to be here. And so we believe in God's providence that you're not here by accident or happenstance, but God has you here today for a reason. Um, as you can see behind me, we are in our uh, foundational uh, vision series entitled Axioms. And so axioms is a word that encompasses a foundational truth, something that is really, really important um, and something that leads and guides in a certain direction. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking in the Gospels and we're asking this question, how did Jesus view the world around him? And when we ask that question and look in the Gospels, we see these axioms. We see that Jesus believed certain things and interacted with the world around him in certain ways. And just um, a little bit of review, we've, we've learned a few things. The first thing that we learned about is this. We learned about a kairos moment, the word kairos. It's a big word, but so is the word mayonnaise and frappuccino, and we use those all the time, okay? Kairos. It comes from Mark chapter 1 when Jesus says, um, repent. The time is at hand and the kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe the good news. The word time is the word kairos. And, and here's very simply what it means. The word kairos means being aware of God's activity in my life. So when Jesus says the time is at hand, Jesus says it's a kairos moment. You can be aware of God's activity in your life. And we said that it comes in a number of ways. What we think it is, is a Sunday morning sort of, oh, wow, experience. Like we're like, well, of course we're aware of God's activity in here or at a conference or doing something like that. This is incredible. But we, says that, uh, we say that a, a Kairos comes in a number of ways. It can come in a sort of aha moment, like, oh, I didn't, I was praying for this, but now I see God has done this in my life. That's a Kairos moment. It can be an aha moment. Um, it can be an uh-oh moment, right? Like, uh-oh, I didn't know that was going on. And actually what we're learning is, is that, um, yes, God meets us in mountaintop experiences. Yes, God meets us on Sundays. Um, but discipleship happens on Mondays. That's where God wants to meet you tomorrow at your workplace. That's a Kairos moment. And then the first axiom that we learned was this foundational truth, um, that God is always present and at work in my life. God is always present and at work in your life. The question is, is if we're aware of it or not. God is always present and at work in our life, even when we think he is and sometimes even when we think that he isn't in a season of silence or a season of wondering, God is still doing something. And then axiom number two we said is this, that God is like Jesus. 
I mean, the New Testament teaches Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that we do not get to say, I don't know what God is like, because God has revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So when we see Jesus interacting with a woman caught in the act of adultery, or when Jesus touches a leper, what God is shouting at us through the pages of scripture is, I'm like that, that God is like Jesus. And then the third axiom was that God meets us in reality. God meets us in reality in our everyday. And the reason why that was important to understand was, is um, God doesn't meet us where we pretend to be. That's foundationally important. God meets us where we actually are. God doesn't meet us on our Instagram and Facebook profile, right? That's cropped and edited and this, that, and the other. God meets us where we really are unfiltered and unedited and all, right? Which leads us to axiom number four, and maybe this will help set us up. Um, my wife and I have three kids, uh, eight, four, you know, eight, six, and four. At some point, you just like forget the numbers and ages, right? So eight, six, and four. And, and you learn along the way sort of some parenting hacks and just some life hacks. So you can basically try to survive every single day. And, and maybe some of you parents are like us. And if not, please don't judge because obviously we haven't reached your level of parenting yet, okay? But um, if we're going on a trip in our favorite rocket ship, Einstein, no, I'm just kidding, that's another kid show, right? Um, if we're going on a trip or if something exciting is getting ready to happen or if we have a surprise for our kids, um, our kids find out about it when, it when it happens, right? We don't tell them like, hey, you know, this summer we're going to go down to the beach or, hey, we're getting ready to go here or, hey, we're going to do this this weekend. We don't tell them any of that. They find out about a trip when we're on the way to go to the trip, right? Um, why? Because if we did not do that, um, every second of every day until the trip would be questions about the trip or about the thing. And then it would be, well, did you um, tell my teacher that I'm going to miss Friday? Or am I, did you get my blankie? Or are we going to do this? Or if you're like Roman, Roman's like, well, don't forget my survival backpack, right? Yeah, because we'll need that, okay, or all of this type of stuff. And Andy Grace is like, but my makeup, and there's all of these questions about it, right? And um, as a parent, you're like, hey, guys, hey, listen, why are you so concerned and worried about this? Um, we're mom and dad here. Like, we, we want to have fun on this trip actually more, more than you do. <laughs> um, we we want to have fun on vacation more than you actually do, Okay. We are actually, um, we are more concerned about this than you even are. Which leads us to our fourth axiom, which is just that. That God cares. God cares more about it than we do. And can we just all agree that that is a wonderful statement to hear and to just like read out loud. And especially in today's culture and in today's climate with everything else going on. Um, so, so, here, so here's what I want to do. You're in the sermon now. I'm going to read this. And when I get through with it, I just want everybody to just sort of sigh. Just to sort of take a deep breath and go, oh, yes. Just like let it out right there. Okay, so, so here we go. Um, 
God cares more about it than we do. Yes. And it's just like, it's just like that release to hear that type of good news. But one of the things we're learning in this Axiom series is that there's a reason why we need to learn these statements. Um, is because we don't believe them. Now, sure, you catch anybody on a Sunday morning passing in the hallway, you know, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, amen, brother, right? And we love all that stuff, okay? We turn into wrestling, amen, brother, oh yeah, right, okay? And so we would say, yeah, sure, we believe all of that um, until we live our everyday life. Because actually, um, look, look at your Bibles. And, and by the way, if, if you don't have a Bible or own one, or if you have a Bible that's hard for you to understand or read, you can meet me out at the Welcome Center. And we want to give you a Bible today, one that you can understand and read, just because we believe God wrote a book. And we just believe that's really important. But look at verse 32. Jesus gets to the heart of the passage. In two words, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. Fear not. And then jump up and look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Interesting. Um, God cares more about it than we do. But from the pages of Scripture, what we see when we don't believe that, when we don't believe this foundational axiom, you've got really two options, fear and anxiety. You see, when, when we don't believe this, fear enters in and anxiety enters in as well. And actually, I mean, if there's ever, ever a year, if there's ever a year for the words fear and anxiety, man... 2020 is it, right? Fear and anxiety is, is everywhere with this global pandemic. And actually, um, most experts would tell you that it's not uh, just one crisis, uh, but it's actually two. Um, apart from COVID, there's a second crisis when it comes to this idea of fear and anxiety and mental health and wellness. And actually, the National Alliance of Mental Illness Helpline has seen a 65% increase in calls and emails um, since March. I actually tried to find the statistics when it comes because I kept hearing, man, the child abuse hotlines um, have received more calls and more calls. And, and actually, when everything was in a shelter in place, um, the child abuse hotlines, uh, the calls plummeted to an all-time low, um, which is not a good sign because the children were not at school with the teachers and with the people that call the hotline. Um, so when it comes to fear and anxiety, um, it's not, my prayer is not today, boy, I hope this sermon is relevant. The question is, um, are we going to be receptive to what Jesus has for us today? And actually, uh, it's very important when we study the scriptures and look at something, we see the context surrounding it. And actually in chapter 12, if you would um, go back to the beginning of chapter 12 and look at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. I mean, this is like the release of the new pair of Jordans at Foot Locker, okay? Jesus is teaching in town, and you've got thousands of people, thousands of people trampling over one another just to hear what this man has to say. 
I mean, Jesus is a provocative figure at this time. But then it says this, and he began to say to his disciples, Jesus doesn't even address the crowd. He began to say to his disciples, to his followers. And then when you jump up and look in verse 22, and he said to his disciples. So that tells me something. Um, Jesus is telling his disciples, his followers, those who have trusted and given their life to him, that they will struggle with fear and anxiety. And maybe for some of you in the room, just hearing that, you're like, okay, wow, all right, here we go. But Jesus lays out and sort of maps out in chapter 12 like three um, main areas of fear. And what's so interesting is if you talk to any counselor or anybody, they would tell you the same thing, which um, we believe here at Westside that God's word um, is always timely because it's timeless. As Adrian Rogers says, your Bible is as up to date as tomorrow's newspaper. And so what are the sort of three main fears that we see? Well, um, when you look in verse 4, Jesus talks about a fear of death. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. He talks about a fear of death. Then look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues, Jesus is talking about the fear of man there. So the fear of death, the fear of man. And then verses um, 22 through 34, he talks about a fear of possessions, of, of not having our, our everyday needs met. So is, is Jesus on it? Like, is Jesus relevant? Yes. And what we see is, is Jesus assuring us and teaching us something today about this. And just before we get started, can I just be fully transparent and honest with you today? God forbid the preacher be honest in church, right? That would be a shame. Um, I've never really struggled with fear and anxiety in a majority of my life. And um, just full confession, probably over the past 18 months, I've dealt with fear and anxiety in ways that I've never imagined. Um, and so today, you know, preaching's always tough because it's God's perfect word. It's God's perfect word coming through an imperfect, really imperfect. I've turned to your neighbor and say, he's really imperfect. Really imperfect person. And so today, um, I don't teach as somebody who has this figured out and who lords the scriptures over us. Um, I teach as somebody who is desperate for this same message as you, okay? And so I'm just going to share some things that I've learned, some things that I found helpful, but more importantly, I'm going to teach what Jesus has for us in these areas, and the first thing that we have to learn is, is that it's actually not just this idea of anxiety, Jesus actually says, and, and if you're a note taker, the first thing is this. Point number one is fear is the foundation for anxiety. That there's something underneath why we are anxious. You see, Jesus talks about being anxious, but he addresses this idea of do not fear. And so fear is a... Uh, it's a tough thing to nail down as, as a definition, right? So we've all grown up in church with sort of cliches. I've heard fear, an acronym, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real, all types of stuff. Um, but um, one pastor wrote something that, that was very helpful. And it's just about five things that fear is. And the first thing that he says is this, um, fear is vision without optimism. Fear is vision without optimism, meaning... Fear is what I can see, but it's all bad. That's all I see. 
So whether uh, maybe you're a business owner or something like that, or you work somewhere and it's like um, the numbers are in the red, they're not in the black. All I can see is this thing um, tanking. Maybe you're looking at your marriage or your relationships and it's like, yes, I see all of this. I see it, but it's all bad. Everything is bad. Fear is vision without optimism, without anything being good. The second thing is this. Um, fear seems reasonable, even when it's not, okay? And this is difficult to understand if you're not somebody dealing with it. And by the way, here's something I've learned, that, that fear and anxiety doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect you, but it affects those around you. And so maybe some of you are in here and you're married to a loved one or you have a close family member who's struggling with this and the patience that is required of you is, is difficult in this season, and, and one of the worst things that you can say, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who's, you got to know his personality, just kind of, um, God radically saved him and he just sort of shoots straight, just unfiltered, black and white. And so I was just sharing with him about some of my fears and some of my anxieties and I just spilled my guts, just being honest and transparent. And he just looked at me and was like, uh, okay, that's, none of that's real. Thanks, bud. Um, Good lunch today. Anytime I need a pep talk, I'll be sure to give you a call next time, okay, right? And I said, you know, hearing you say that is like, um, it's like somebody drowning and then somebody going, it's okay, the water's not real. And you're like, bloop, bloop, okay, right? You're just drowning, man. Like, it seems reasonable in the moment, even when it's not reasonable. And then the third thing is this, um, Fear reveals what we love. Fear reveals what we love. You know why? Because you'll protect what you love. You'll protect what you love. And so anytime fear enters in, what we do is we line up our priorities real fast. Real fast. And it reveals some things. And I love what author Timothy Keller says, is that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes... Um, Anxiety is the sound of our idols crumbling. And maybe, just maybe, we've put our trust in something that was never supposed to bear the full weight of our identity. And so that, that reveals what we love. And then the um, next thing is this. Fear turns us into false prophets. You see, in the scriptures, there's the prophets and then the false prophets. The prophets stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and then it comes true. And then there's the false prophets who stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't come true, right? And bad things happen for them in the Old Testament, right? And what fear turns us into is doom and gloom. Doom and gloom all the time. You don't believe me? Um, every news channel is a modern-day false prophet. Okay, Fox and CNN, all right? So if you're offended, we got a lot of the sermon to go, all right? It's okay. It's just all that is, all the time, constantly the little ticker and the thing and the stuff and breaking news. Have you noticed? It's breaking news. Everything's breaking news. It's breaking right now. All, I mean, like, and what we call that here is Eeyore syndrome, right? How's it going? Well, okay, I guess. And then you talk to Eeyore the next day. Winnie the Pooh, you know, passes him in the forest again the next day. How's it going, Eeyore? Well, not okay, I guess, right? And then the next day, and then the next day. It's always raining on Eeyore. And then the last thing is this. Um, fear is not always sinful, 
But fear is always an opportunity to sin. Fear is not always sinful. Did you know it's actually a healthy thing? Um, you should be afraid to walk out in traffic. <laughs> Mind-blowing concept, right? Um, you should be afraid um, to sin. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. There's some healthy fears. But fear is not always a sin, but it's always an opportunity. You know why? Because when we become afraid and anxious, we will run to what comforts us. And that is where your heart is most revealed. Jesus says primarily for a majority of us in the passage, it's money. It's money. So what Jesus says is um, he, he links these earthly possessions and fear and anxiety directly together when it comes to that. And so, uh, you know, for me, I've, I've been learning about some things uh, over these 18 months. Um, I fear uh, a deep sense of failure. A deep sense of failure and rejection. Me and Marty McFly, we got a lot in common, okay? Because we just can't handle that type of rejection, okay, right? Any Back to the Future fans? And two of you, awesome, great. I just feel rejected, great. And so what that does in moments when I'm not aware of that, I become very anxious and I'm going to work harder and I'll impress you and I can achieve that and I'll do that and I can do that and then I'll do that and that because at the end what I'm dying to get is that affirmation, that attaboy. And when I don't get that, man, talk about anxious. Like, woo, you know, and then was it good enough? I don't know. Did they think to have a booger in my nose? Oh, hold on. I have no idea, right? And then it's just all of that. Um, and probably the worst thing that can happen is that I begin to draw my confidence and assurance from my own capabilities. And then everything's built on me. And if you want to talk about building your life on sand and something that's real fragile, make your life about you. Just make it about you. Make every relationship, make every accomplishment, make it about you. And watch fear and anxiety and anger creep in. So what is it for you? Um, do you fear to lose what you have? Do you fear to not get what maybe what you want? Maybe you fear not getting something you don't want, right? Or something like that. And, and, and look at the verse 32. Fear not. There are over um, 600 plus commands in the Old Testament. And in the new, I mean, there's a lot of commands in the Bible, and you can read the Bible a number of ways. You can read it sort of through the religious lens of the do nots and this and that, and don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, and don't watch rated R movies unless it's the Passion of the Christ, because that's okay. And then, like, you can just do all this stuff, and then what you can become is you can become a Christian who's against a lot of things. That's just who you are. Like, we're, we don't, and we're not, because that, uh-uh, you can do that. And so when you see fear not, that can become a command. Lord it over you. Um, the problem with that is the rest of the verse. Fear not, little flock. You see, the tone of the sermon should match the tone of the text. And so the, te the, the tone of the text is, um, the tone of the text is a child in their room at night waking up scared hollering for dad, dad, dad. Now, dad can enter that room, according to this text, one of two ways. 
Dad can bust in the room at midnight with a child being scared going, Fear not! Shut the door and walk out. (laughs) I mean... What else do I got to do, man, right? Fear not. I just told you to fear not. Fear not. It's just, right? Or, those of you who are even earthly fathers and your kids ask you of something, who would you give a bread and stone to? Or dad can enter into the room and go, hey, fear not. It's okay. I'm going to check the room, look under the bed. Listen, you can view fear not as a command or as an invitation. And look at me. The responsibility is up to you. That's your responsibility. Is it a command or is it an invitation? And oh, don't just think that you're so eager to accept all of Jesus' invitations. Because when you accept that invitation, you now live by faith. You now live by faith that you are a part of the little flock and that it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So fear, fear is the foundation for anxiety. So then what's anxiety? Well, how about this? Um, Anxiety is anticipating the fear. You see, fear is something we believe. Anxiety is our response to what we believe. And most um, counselors and psychiatrists would tell you that anxiety is your body's response to something. Now, caveat, I need to come over here, okay? Bible's there, I'm here. Um, The church has done a very poor job talking about mental health issues, um, science. Like somewhere along the way, the church was like, science, ah, or something like that, okay, right? Medicine, those type of things, okay? Here at Westside, we believe in Jesus and math. Like, like, that's awesome. If you have a problem with your transmission, you go to a mechanic. That's great, okay? If there's a problem with your body, you go to the doctor, And so what we're not saying today is pray it away and all of that. There can be chemical imbalances, all of those things. Please, God, we live in 2020. God has given us so much good common graces. So so please pursue and seek those out. I'm talking about what Jesus is saying in the text. And so anxiety is is our body's response to fear. Um, and there's a great book by the guy by the name of Steve Cuss called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And, and if you run a team or own a business, I highly recommend this to you. And it talks about the relational anxiety sort of that we deal with. But he says this, um, pay attention to your body. Now, as Christians, we believe the body is important. We don't believe what the Greeks believed or the Sadducees. Okay. Um, do you know why we believe the body is important? Trivia question. Anybody, anybody. Um, the incarnation, Right. Um, that God put on human flesh. That's why we believe we should be good stewards of our body. So if I really wanted to offend everybody, I could teach right now about how to be good stewards of our body and how like churches love to preach against alcohol, but then they're gluttons at the potluck. You want me to do that? I'll wait for another sermon, okay? Awesome, great. And so we believe the body's important. And we believe actually our body can respond and tell us things. And so Steve Cuss says um, two things to notice about your anxiety, Okay. Uh, The first one is this, is to notice it. And then he drops it down in three very helpful categories. That if you feel yourself becoming anxious, check one of three areas. It's like a check engine light in your car. The spinning mind, the racing heart, and the tightening gut. Okay? So if you feel yourself becoming anxious, stop 
and try to notice it. Where's this at? Is it my spinning mind, which probably happens at night? Interesting why the Bible talks so much about sleep and how God watches over us. And the first thing a clinical psychiatrist and doctor will ask you is, how are you sleeping and how are you eating? So it's the spinning mind, then it's the racing heart, right? For me, it's the racing heart. I can hear my heart beating. And then I'm like, why is my heart beating? And then I'm like, well, I'm hot and sweaty. And then it's just like a whole thing, right? Okay. Or the tightening gut. So listen, the next time you feel yourself, you know, maybe you're in a conversation and hey, guess what? This is real applicable because the holidays are coming up and you get to spend time with your family. And so now, you know, are we going to, hey, mom, are we having Thanksgiving at your house? And then your aunt's like, well, it ain't going to be at my house because didn't nobody come last year. And you're like, well, no, you didn't invite anybody last year. It's like, oh, no, I did. But didn't nobody answer back in that group text message? And all that, okay, all right, are we on it? Okay. When that starts happening, just notice it. Where's it coming from? Where's it at? Where's it coming from? Notice it. And then the second thing is this, name it and name it out loud to someone. Just noticing it and naming it. And I believe Jesus teaches that because look at what he says two times. Verse 24, verse 27. Consider, consider. When you feel yourself becoming anxious, stop and consider the ravens. Or con it's a big word in the original called emblepo, which means to pause, reflect, and to meditate on. So notice it and then name it. When you speak it to someone, when the scriptures say, confess our sins to one another... So that when we confess and are faithful to confess, he is faithful to forgive. Do you know who that's for? It's not for God for you to confess your sins. Oh, you thought it was for God, right? You thought that when you did that, God was like, tally sheet, ding, they did it. This is great. It's not for God. That's for you. Because when you name it and confess it and say it out loud, there is something there about bringing darkness into light. You see... God cares more about it than you do. God is more committed to your well-being and to your... Listen, this is profound, maybe a little provocative, but welcome to Westside. This is great. God is more committed to your relationship with him than you are. God is more committed to your relationship with him than you are. And some of us think like, that God pushed all of his eggs into our basket. Like, so the whole family, the whole job thing. And like, where were you when God spoke the universe into existence? When God was like, Saturn. That's dope, right? Where were you? When Job in the Old Testament starts complaining and is filled with all of this fear and all of this stuff, the opening words, Job complains for like three chapters. And the opening words that God says are, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Translation, who's this idiot? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the ocean? Where were you when I stretched out the heavens with my fingers like you touch your iPhone? Where were you when I did all of that? And now you come and bring this. You see, listen, God cares more about it than we do. And so when we start to feel this anxiety, we have to notice it and name it. But what really is the anxiety? Look at what Jesus says in verses 25 and 26. And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus, you know, 
Translation, um, you anxious? You know, Jesus saying, are you anxious? And you go, yes, Jesus, I'm anxious. And then he just goes, well, how's that going for you? How's that going? Spurgeon said that um, worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but get you nowhere. Just nothing, you know, I'm doing something, but I'm, I'm not going anywhere, right? You see, anxiety, the word that Jesus uses, means to be torn between two things. And so most of the time, um, we're not really anxious about the past unless we've done something and that it's going to get found out. It's always future tense most of the time. And so um, this is what we've always said. Anxiety takes a future possibility and makes it a present reality. Anxiety breeds and lives off what if. It takes a future possibility and then it makes it a present reality. And Jesus says that we are torn between those two things. That we're torn between those two things. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Listen, um, the opposite of faith is not doubt. And maybe you were taught that and that is not true. Doubt actually desires to believe. It wants to believe. Doubting Thomas, right? After the resurrection, Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe that until I see him. He wants to believe. He just lacks some evidence and some reasoning to believe. Listen to me. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. That's the opposite of faith. I will, when I don't believe this, I will be filled with fear and anxiety, and some of us in the room tuck our shoulder and barrel forward and say, I will make this happen. I will make this happen. And just quick survey, quick survey out of everybody. Um, how's that gone in every relationship and every time you've handled that? You see, when we, the posture of discipleship, the posture of discipleship is one of... Um, surrender. So rather than trying to control a desired outcome in my life, rather than trying to control a desired outcome, what Jesus is saying is, why won't you surrender to what God is already doing in your life? And, and I always saw this um, when I was a student pastor for a number of years. I loved working with students because they're honest. They're just so honest. Adults lie all the time. Students are just like super honest, right? And so the kids would always say, like, well, you know, I can't really, my relationship in church, like, man, I just can't wait to get out of this town. That's it. Man, I can't wait to move out of my parents' house. I can't wait to do all of this because I can't. Once I do, and then I will, and I got the, and I'm out. And it's always the Dorothy syndrome. And what that is is controlling a desired outcome rather than going, well, God has me here now. I had another pastor tell me this, um, Jason. God saw it fit for you to be a pastor during a global pandemic. That changed my whole perspective. Because my whole perspective was, a pandemic? Are you kidding me? Right? This ruined everything. This ruined all the plans, all the stuff, all the... But what if we surrendered to what God is doing in the here and now? You see, fear is the foundation for anxiety. Anxiety is anticipating the fear. So what do we need? Well, the third thing is this, if you're taking notes. Um, we need an assurance from the Father. That's what we need. John Climactus, who was a desert father and an early church father, wrote a book called The Ladder of Ascent, where he talked about in his journey of spiritual maturity. And he defines fear as this. Um, fear is the loss of assurance. 
That's a really good definition of fear. Fear is the loss of assurance. I'm not sure anymore. Whether it's my identity, whether it's my needs, whatever that is. And Jesus tells us three things that we can be assured of and know why God cares about it more than we do. The first thing is this. um, We have assurance that the Father has been faithful. Jesus says, um, consider the ravens. And then verse 27, consider the lilies. Now, you got to understand something. Consider the ravens. The ravens? Like, can we just all agree in here, and I'm sorry if you're a bird lover, but birds are gross, okay? Yes and amen, all right, awesome, great, okay? Birds are gross, especially ravens and understanding that culturally, right? Like, it would have been awesome. Well, almost all birds are gross, except for the bald eagle, right? America, okay, right? Okay, anyway, um, Jesus says, look at the trash bird, the raven. Oh, by the way, look at the lily. Not an oak tree, not a giant redwood, but a lily. Fragile low end of the totem pole, um, God, God takes care of them. And God has been taking care of them. The problem is, is you haven't stopped to notice it yet. So we get to do this all the time, and it was really powerful in the first service, but um, you're going to be in the sermon again, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if you or someone you know directly and personally has seen a specific prayer answered. Now, let me say that again. I want you to raise your hand if you or someone you know personally has seen a direct answer to prayer. Raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Raise it up high. Raise it up high. Look around. You can lower your hands. God cares more about it than you do. And if he's batting a thousand, if God is batting a thousand and he's never dropped one of his promises, not one of them, then what makes you think he's going to do it in the future now? Our God has always been faithful and always will be faithful. That is the assurance that we need. And listen to me, I am so weary. I'm so weary to my bones about this propaganda of fear everywhere. I'm so weary of the COVID pandemic. I'm so weary of every political party, of every news station, of fear mongering and all of that. And I don't care where it comes from, but listen to me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power, of love and of self-control. And it is now the church Church's time in this dark hour for us to shine bright and to stand up and to say, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the very kingdom, for we will not live in fear. We will not live in fear because our Father has been faithful. And then secondly, this, we have assurance that the Father knows what we need. Look at what Jesus says in verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Jesus said, don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and all that stuff. Um, Pagan nations do that. And we lived it. Did your parents ever say, like, I would have some friends that would do some stuff, and then I would ask to do it, and my mom would be like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not doing that. And I would argue, and she'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. And I'd be like, why? And she goes, um, because in our house, we don't do that. Okay? Then what I did is I snuck out of the window and still did that. But that's a different sermon. Okay, all right, all right. Um, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying is, uh uh-uh, 
We don't live that way. We don't live that way in God's family. When it comes to all of this and the way that the world and this, that, and the other, um, why? Because your father knows what you need even before you ask. Um, it's so comforting talking, you know, dealing with this recently in my life and talking with people who've been struggling as well. And just to have somebody look at you and say, I know, I know. It's so C.S. Lewis says, friendship happens when you turn to someone and say, wait, you too? Now imagine, God is saying, not only, hey, I know, I know, but God is saying, I know, and I have what you need. I'm what you need. I'm what you need. So we have this assurance that God has been faithful, that God knows. And then the last thing is this, that our Father is good, that our Father is good. Luke 12, 32, it's just been a verse that I've just been living in. Just fear not, and then stopping and pausing and praying through it. Fear not, and then the tone, little flock, and then it is your father's good pleasure. The word good pleasure in the original is this massive word that means ultimate delight. Some of us don't think of God this way. That it is your father's ultimate delight. It, it is your father's ultimate excitement and joy to give you the kingdom of God that that's what your father desires more than anything because God cares more about it even, uh, even more than we do, that this is God's ultimate pleasure. Do you view God that way? So Westside, fear not, little flock. God cares more about it than you do. So in closing, there's one application question. That's it, just one. When we look at this, there's a defining word in this that dominates the, every day of your life. And I don't know what it is, but you do. God cares more about it. Here's my question to you in response to this message. What is your it? What's it for you? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your school? What, what is it for you? What is it? And then believing and hearing the good news that God is more committed to that than you are. Than you are. And what is our response? Our response is surrender. It's to lay it down. And now, now, now this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. You can do one of two things at the end of this sermon, all right? You can shut me out right now, and this is great. Go eat Colton's or something like that. That's great, okay? The steak tips are fire. You can go do that. Um, or, or that thing that you have built your whole life on, your life, you can lay that down. That thing that you've been white knuckling, that you've been forcing, that you've been doing, whatever, you can surrender that. And you can breathe a sigh of relief and hear the words spoken over you. Fear not. Fear not, little child. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Westside, would you stand to your feet and let us pray out loud how Jesus taught us to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Westside, lift your voices. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you as little children in so much need, God. There is so much need in this room today. But you've been faithful. You've been faithful. You won't stop being faithful. You won't stop now. And God, you know not only every need in this room, but you have what we need as well. And may our hearts be overwhelmed with your goodness and your kindness and your grace towards us in Christ. God, there are some of us in here who do not know you and do not have a relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, would you convict where you need to convict? Would you comfort where there needs to be comfort? And would there be surrender in this place? A laying down of our lives and entrusting it back to the author and the creator. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray all of this in the mighty, in the precious, and in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.